Welcome to Season 3 of the Fall Guys Podcast, where we continue to document the stories of those who have made Wisconsin football what it is. My name is Tom Yashinsky of Onalaska High School, and my co-host is Matt Kimmis from DeForest. Thank you for joining us. Welcome on this week's episode of the WFCA Fall Guys Podcast. We talked to Coach Ken Krause from Muskego. Coach, tell us about your football journey. How did you find yourself at Muskego? Well, first off, thanks for having me on the show. I was just telling you guys before we got on that uh, I do love listening to it. I love hearing the journey of all the coaches. Uh, I feel like every time I listen to your guys' podcast, I pick up a nugget or something's thought-provoking. And uh, so I appreciate what you guys do. I know you give a lot of personal time for doing this, as you just mentioned. So thank you for all you guys do for our Coaches Association. Uh, journey, to be honest with you, the journey started when I was 16. Uh, my dad passed away between my sophomore and junior high school. And uh, when people talk about the impact of coaches and sports, uh, nothing rang further true than that. The the coaches I had, I was at West Dallas Central. Um, I was a football wrestler, baseball, but, but the football staff really uh, took me in, you know, during summer lifting and we had football that fall. And um, through that experience of how much those guys cared about me and how much my teammates cared about me, um, it made me, you know, want to give back as an adult. And then, you know, the following year, your senior high school, you're starting to decide, you know, what I want to, what type of career I want to be in. I was kind of thinking between accounting or teaching just because of the the, the powerful uh, impact that my coaches had on me, especially when my dad passing away. And that, that summer I ended up uh, working at a playground, kids uh, three years old through sixth grade. And in West Dallas, we've just got fantastic rec department back when I grew up and um, I just fell in love with working with kids, coaching kids, teaching kids. You know, there were there were kids there that had some family issues, and just to be able to help them out, um, make an impact on kids. I had you know some divorced families, some single moms, and even some regular families just saying, "Hey, you're making an impact on your kid, uh, on their kid." And I thought I'm getting paid to do something I love. It was like a hobby for me, you know, working with kids all day. So that's when I decided to be a teacher. Um, the following year, I ended up coaching high school baseball at 19. So I started coaching when I was super young. So that's one thing that's unique about me compared to most of the you know guys you have on the show. A lot of the guys have, you know, been, you know, college players and they start coaching after high school or college. I started coaching in college and then uh, kind of fate after my second year of college, I was kind of deciding, you know, what major I want to get into and, um, want to either be a special ed teacher, history, FIAD. And I ran into my old head coach who had just resigned, Phil Sobosinski, who was in the Hall of Fame. And uh, he had mentioned he had just re retired from uh, being a head football coach. And I wanted to, you know, congratulate him on his retirement. And uh, as we were talking, he said there were some openings in our at West L Central and the coaching staff. So uh, right place, right timing. I, I never thought I'd be coaching football until uh, after I graduated from college. And uh, I started coaching that following fall when I was uh, 20 years old, 21 years old. I started coaching high school football. I was the freshman coach the first year. Uh, we were two, four, and one. We didn't have a, any youth teams in West Dallas. So uh, it was a great experience. I loved it. Uh, the following year, our head coach uh, offered me to be the head JV football coach. And that summer, I just, uh, because I grew up in West Dallas and I lived in West Dallas, uh, was in the weight room every day with the kids, trying to come up with every motivational way to to get them fired up, uh, to lift weights and, and bring unity and, and just uh, build some relationships with the kids and get them to build relationships with each other. Uh, we ended up going eight and one and winning the JV Conference Championship. And so that was kind of the first moment where I thought, you know, I could maybe be a head football coach someday. So I, I definitely want to be a teacher. I definitely want to coach football, uh, maybe, maybe make a career out of it. Um, and so then the following year, I ended up getting a teaching job at West L Central. I was the offensive coordinator for one year. And then uh, at the end of the season, Coach Wall was the head coach, uh, stepped down. And I was teaching at the school. And so I uh, kind of took over the, the off-season lifting program and applied for the teaching job. And uh, kind of an interesting story. The, the final two candidates were myself and Dan Brunner. Dan Brunner, as you guys know, is the executive uh, president of our coaches association. And uh, – they offered a job to Coach Brunner. He was head coach at Hartford at the time, but he would have to take a significant pay cut. So he didn't take the uh, position. So I ended up taking it, and I got hired at 23 years old. So I give you that little background that, you know, just how I ended up coaching at such a young age. Uh, I was head coach at West Dallas Central for 11 years. 
just had a, a fantastic uh, time there. It was my, you know, where I went to high school. I hired a bunch of uh, former players that uh, played at West Dallas Central. I was 23. My defensive coordinator was Steve Lucknick. If you guys follow girls basketball, they've uh, they just won like a hundred and some conference games straight in our state. So I think it's like a state record. I uh, used my DC. He was 25. Ended up being my DC for 11 years. Uh, Barry Johnson, I hired as our line uh, weight room coach. He was 27. Dax Rodriguez uh, became one of our main uh, JV coaches, top defensive assistants. We hired him year two. He was a year younger than me, ended up coaching all 10 years. And then we we grabbed on to Rick Hopper, who's now the head coach at Greendale Martin Luther. But he got a teaching job at, at West Dell Central, uh, West Dell School District, actually, and became one of our coaches. And so there was a core group of us that coached for 11 years together. Uh, all those guys are super successful now. As I mentioned, Rick Hopper's now the head coach at Greendale Martin Luther. They've, I think, won back-to-back conference championships, had a couple deep playoff runs. I had a really, really good staff. Uh, we had some great memories. Uh, thought I'd be a lifer there. I went to school there. Uh, you know, as a teacher there, I got my administrative degree, thought me I'd be a vice principal. But uh, I coached from Central 96 to 2006. And uh, in 2003, we were still living in West Dallas. I had one son. We lived in a two-bedroom house. We needed to get a bigger home. So we ended up uh, trying to find a house halfway between Union Grove and, and West Dallas. And so the connection with Muskego was, as we ended up moving into the Muskego School District, it was kind of halfway in between. And I just thought I'd live in Muskego, raise my kids there, and still end up uh, coaching at West Dallas Central. Uh, but two years later in 2005, uh, my wife said, hey, I have two older brothers. I'd like to uh, try for a girl. Uh, I was, you know, the third child in my family and I was a girl. I said, OK, if, if we don't get a girl, we get a boy, we're done. Uh, you know, I'm a teacher. She's a nurse. You know, we're we're OK, but we're not super loaded, have millions of kids. And um, so five month ultrasound. And this is this was kind of the uh, the moment where uh, life changed. Uh, our first two kids, we were surprised. We wanted to be surprised at the birth of our child. And at the five month ultrasound, the uh, the lady doing the ultrasound said, "Hey, Julie, are you a little bit bigger this time?" And I, for some reason, when I heard the way she said it, I thought, "There's no way she thinks we're going to have twins because we have no twins in our family." We there's. <laughs> We've never heard of anyone in our family having twins, but the way she worded it, I was like, you got to be kidding me. And my wife did not pick up on that. She's like, well, it's my third kid, so I'm bigger this time. That's why I'm bigger, right? She's like, no, 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 you're having twins. And all of a sudden, my wife started crying. She thought, oh, God, we just wanted one kid. We wanted a girl. So we're like, well, we need to know the the sex of the babies because we just moved in this house. It's only a three-bedroom. So we go through the first ultrasound, and uh, boy – my wife starts crying more like, Oh my God, I didn't get the, okay. We got one more chance to get your girl. And, uh, next ultrasound, uh, you really want to know? Yeah, we got to know boy. And my wife's just bawling, but it was the best thing ever happened for our family. We, you know, when you got four kids and there's only two parents, you got to really work together. And, um, if I didn't have the twins and we didn't choose to maybe go for a third kid, I might've stayed in West Dallas forever. So I tell you that long story because that is probably the main reason I ended up at Muskego. I was driving by the high school the next two years every day to work to West Dallas. And my older boys started getting into youth sports. And as you guys know, when your kids get in youth sports, it's a jungle, you're busy as heck. So I decided to uh, leave uh, West Dallas and apply for a teaching position in Muskego. And then I talked to John Sterner, who was the head coach at the time and told John, you know, hey, I'd love to uh, coordinate something for you. But the other or be an assistant coach, whatever role you need me to be in. But I, I want the other nine months of the year to coach my kids, not be involved in the weight room and all the head coach type stuff. And I uh, was fortunate to get a teaching job at Muskego, uh, coached under John for, for that season. And second week of the year, he asked me to, to run the defense. I ran, you know, John's scheme and ended up having a blast. And that, that kind of helped me develop as a coach because at Central, I was always doing offense. Um, and then this scheme an opportunity to run the defense and, um, again, kind of, kind of crazy, kind of fake, kind of similar to, uh, the West Dallas situation, uh, coach Sterner resigned at the end of the season and, uh, which was shocking to everybody. And within the next week after his reg- resignation, a lot of players and parents and were coming up to me, Hey, we really like you to think about becoming the next head coach. And 
don't know if you're familiar with Coach Dominowski, but he's in the Coaches Hall of Fame. He's been at Muskego for 42 years as a coach and played at Muskego. And he came up to me and he, he just said, hey, if, if, if you don't apply for this job and take it, you know, I'm going to retire. And he's kind of the godfather of Muskego football. So I said to my wife, I'm like, was this meant to be? Was this, you know, am I supposed to be the head coach at Muskego? It's the only place I could do it because our kids live here. And um, so I'm sorry for a long-winded story, but that's how I ended up at Muskego. <laughs> Uh, family and uh, a little bit of faith. Coach, it's a, it's a great story. Um, personally, I can relate to the twins deal, but I was on the flip side of that where um, we, we didn't have them long story short, but uh, twins run on my wife's side and it hasn't ever missed a generation in their family, both on her mom's side and her dad's side. And so uh, after two boys, we tried for a girl as well. And I was very scared that it was going to be twin. <laughs> we, we didn't. So we have three boys. Mine are uh, seven, four, and two currently. But I can we, definitely relate to uh, to that story. So we, we, we cannot produce girls for our for our wives, hey? <laughs> what's interesting, yeah, my wife is the only girl um, in her on her mom's side at all of our generation. You so, know what's funny? Same with my wife. Crazy. Huh. Yep. There's some uh, trivia. <laughs> So, Coach, throughout your journey, you know, you mentioned Coach Solosinski. Obviously, there's a number of folks that you worked with alongside that have been highly successful. Um, you talked about how you got your break into coaching, but have you had some other mentors along the way or, or folks that maybe you leaned on to either, um, you know, learn some uh, some defense when you transition to that side of ball or um, how you kind of got to the knowledge level you're at today? Well, I think there's three people that really stand out. It, uh, coach Sobosinski, I just mentioned, you know, he's in the coaches uh, hall of fame. He was playing the NFL. He was head coach at West Dallas central for 22 years. I was really fortunate when, uh, when I got hired to be head coach at central, he was uh, an administrator in our district uh, for my first three or four years. And so he taught me the wing T, you know, we've been running the wing T my entire, you know, 30 year career, 26, you know, as head coach. And uh, he was the guy that taught me that offense. And then, you know, he just taught me how to handle situations, you know, work with people. Um, he ended up getting a superintendent job in Minona Grove, and we would still talk, you know, every Sunday, weekly, uh, during in-season, and we'd get together in the off-season for, you know, kind of mini clinics. And so he was my first big mentor, and obviously with my past and my dad, obviously he was like a father figure. Dan Gaynor, uh, he's a legend in West Dallas. He coached wrestling baseball and football. He was my football and wrestling coach in high school. Uh, he obviously had a tremendous impact on me again with my dad's situation. And then I think I got closer to him and coach Solves after high school. I ended up coaching baseball for West Dallas Central for 10 years. I was the JV coach nine years and I was coach Gaynor's uh, assistant. He was the varsity coach. And for, with him, uh, I just learned how to be a great motivator. He was really big. I, I really learned how to run a practice. Uh, he was big on repetition keeping, you know, the KISS method, keep it simple, stupid. He was really big on fundamentals. He was big on progressions. So all the things that uh, we kind of did in our baseball program uh, were things that I, when I got the football job, I, I started to implement kind of a similar philosophy. Uh, and to this day, you know, he's in his seventies and he'll still come out and watch some of my games. And he's always about good, shoot me some emails and giving me some comments and suggestions. Uh, the third big uh, impact of me is coach Mike Take. He's also in Wisconsin Football Coaches uh, Association Hall of Fame. He was head coach at Boston uh, for a long time. And I met him at Pittsburgh 14 years ago at the National Wing T Clinic. I just, again, fate, right place, right time. Uh, he was the main, he was the only speaker uh, that spoke from Wisconsin. And we ended up meeting, meeting together at the clinic. And then on the flight home, he had an assistant coach. I had an assistant coach. I made my assistant coach there with his assistant coach and he and I drew uh, stuff up in notebooks uh, for a two hour flight. And uh, for the last 14 years, he has kind of been my secret weapon. He's retired now uh, in season. I probably talked to him daily one to four or five times out of season. I probably talked to him once a week, once every two weeks, just to, to get his opinion on, you know, program development and in season, it's more about putting the game plans in and, uh, coach take also won the positive coaching influence award from our coaches association. So, uh, he's become a great friend and, uh, those three guys in particular, um, have made uh, huge impacts on me and, and, um, I wouldn't be where I am today without those guys as mentors. Coach, I think when people think about Muskego football, 
they think of the, this run that you guys have had in, you know, 17, 18, 19, uh, even you look at 2020 when that might've been the best team you guys had and you really never got a chance to showcase it because of the, the shutdown and all that. Um, but in the early 2000s, when you took over, there were some lean years, and that happens to every program, and that happens to all of us as coaches. But what did you do during those years to stay the course and make sure that that Muskego football ended up where it is today? And and you know you didn't bail on stuff, and you didn't uh, you didn't pull the panic or push the panic button back then. What, how'd you do that? Well, that's that's a good point. You know, uh, one advantage I had is already a head coach at a previous school where we had success, so we kind of had the blueprint. Uh, the, the, the great thing for me is anything that I wanted to do right away that I, didn't, I learned at West Dallas or anything I would have done differently, I was able to do from the start. Uh, we knew it would be a little bit of a struggle at first. Uh, you know, the year before, there was only 10 juniors that had finished the season, and the JV and freshman teams each had won one game. So it was just we knew it was going to take a year or two record-wise to see the improvement. But we we saw improvement right away. Uh we got more kids out for football our following season. We had our attendance in the weight room dramatically improved. The big word that uh, I kept using is just being positive. We would – anything that we could highlight, we had our first 1,000-yard rusher in, like, a number of years. We made a big deal about that. We had a player uh, get get uh, go to Wisconsin Badgers, Kyle Koskin. We made a big deal about him getting recruited. So we just tried to focus on the positives. Uh, the following year, our, our JV and freshman team – had winning seasons and our varsity lost a ton of close games. But in the second year, we, we put in the wing tee, which was like a completely new offense for Muskego. And about halfway to midway through the year, our kids started to start to look like a wing tee team. So we knew we were on, on the verge. And then, and then year three is when we kind of took off. And that's when we, we had our first winning season, made the playoffs. We, we had a big win over Milwaukee Riverside. That was really, really good in the first round. And, um, you know, like you said, we didn't panic. We stuck with the wing tee. It was a foreign offense to them. We, we knew, uh, and you know, like you said, we just we we established relationship with our youth program, and I'll talk about that some of that stuff in a second. But um, the big thing I think young coaches make a mistake or new coaches is they abandon too quickly. It just doesn't happen overnight, especially when you take over a program and it's struggling. If a program is struggling, uh, you're most likely not going to all of a sudden go nine and zero the next year. So you got, like you said, you got to stay the course. Uh, stay positive. And uh, I was fortunate to have some good mentors and I was, you know, head coach at a previous school that had that, that won championships and had deep playoff runs. So we knew we could get it at Muskego. We just had to not rush anything or get mad and, you know, lose our cool about stuff. Coach, speaking about mentorship, I've said it on some of your presentations and clinic talks about leadership that, that you and your staff have put together, uh, obviously up at at Tom's Clinic in Onalaska, I think was my first time being exposed to it as well as at WFCA. Can you please explain kind of the importance of not only teaching leadership, but how you guys teach that in your program? I think there's some unique things that you guys do that um, certainly you've been the first I've heard of folks doing it. Well, I, I think there's a lot of unique things that we do. I think one thing, um, and I don't know if everything's unique, but uh, one of the goals that I have, and, and, and there, there's buzzwords in our country, but I don't want to just be coach-led. I not only want to be player-led, I also want to be coach-led. So um, I, I try to really put coaches uh, in positions of strength. I think we all do, but um, I try to delegate jobs to people to the right right positions. I try to train the coaches, uh, you know, in the beginning and then kind of give them ownership of that, that job. And, and one thing we've been successful with um, leadership-wise is both at West Dallas and Muskego, we've kept the same coaches with us pretty much once they've joined our staff, they've stayed on the, the rest of the time. And I think one thing I try to do is I try to be coach led to where I, you guys know coach Lucchese, our defensive coordinator, you know, he's outstanding and he's, he's in charge of our defense. I give him, you know, complete control of that. Obviously in the off season, we'll talk about different things, but um, you know, Ty Kunick, who you, you guys uh, know too, is our mental training coach. You know, he's taken the bull by the horn with our mental training program and I could list lots of other examples, but one thing is when you give a coach ownership of something, every it becomes like their baby, you know, it becomes their own like flesh and blood. So they're going to, they're going to put more time into that and they know the buck kind of stops with them. So uh, they're going to even try a little bit harder at what they do. So I think that's been one positive. I think some of the stuff you're alluding to too, is just, and I know the buzzword around the country is just being player led. Um, we try to come up with uh 
you know, opportunities to teach our kids to, to, to lead what we're doing, not, not so much coach led. Uh, one thing that has been really uh, powerful for us at Muskego, and I know a lot of schools have leadership councils, but um, after 26 years, this is kind of our current state of our leadership council. Uh, we meet in summer and it's open to anybody in 10th through 12th grade. And uh, currently, you know, last year we had 120 sophomore through seniors. We had, we had 50 players uh, be a part of leadership council. And I think sometimes we think leaders have to just be your best players. Uh, we don't feel that way at Muskego. Some of our best leaders are maybe non-starters. You know, this year we had 40 seniors and I think uh, 24 of them did not start yet. Some of those guys were our, were our best leaders in our football program. And one thing we try to cultivate is, not just that leadership piece, but that unity piece with our, uh, when we meet in the summer with our sophomores through seniors, we get in a big circle and we have a 45 minute meeting and our, and our first 15 minutes is we make a sophomore, junior, senior sit together. And they've, they've got a, you know, a lot of these seniors might not know these sophomores because they, the freshmen practice separately from us, you know, we're a school of 1600 kids and so everybody knows each other. So the leadership is also a little bit of a unity unity council as well, you could sort of say. And the first 15 minutes, they're in these groups of three. And, and typically we'll start out with, they have to tell each other's first and last name. And then each week we might ask different questions. The first, the first meeting will be okay. Tell, tell something to the other guys about yourself. That's unique. Tell them about your family. And then the three, the three kids will stand up in front of the group. They'll say each other's first and last name. It gets them talking in front of their peers. We make the sophomores introduce the seniors. Then everybody's got to, you know, say the, the player's first and last name, and then we make a big deal about, hey, which which guy is going to know, and each grade is going to know all 50 guys' names the fastest. And we, so we try to make it a competition, try to make it fun. And, you know, uh, I think sometimes in the past, you know, there was all oh, seniors have to start, and seniors don't have to put the gear away. Seniors get to do whatever they, you know, the sophomores or the non-starters get all the bad jobs. And so we we've completely changed that culture where, Seniors, you you got to embrace the sophomores and juniors. You know, last year we started a sophomore. We started six or seven juniors for us to be, you know, conference champs, state championship team. You know, our first state championship team, we had three sophomores start, and we needed our seniors to embrace those sophomores. And we needed, if a senior or junior wasn't starting, that they understood they had to do what's best for the team. And so by cultivating that that summer leadership program we have, um, and then we're, we're in this circle, and they're in these groups of three, uh, then we'll, after we, they introduce themselves, we'll have like a senior stand up, move over to the next chair. The juniors will stand up, move next chair over to the left. And then they've got to introduce themselves to the other guys. And, um, we we have followed a curriculum. Um, Jeff Jansen, if you followed him, uh, we, we use some of his stuff. We use John Gordon, who's been real powerful with positive being positive. Um, so we'll spend 15 minutes reading, uh, articles, from John Gordon and then Jeff Jansen's got this uh, 12 leadership traits of captains, you know, um, it's nothing uh, earth shattering, but it, it's a really good uh, thing that we utilize and, you know, talks about the 12 different traits of a leader and there's something written there. So we'll have our three guys get together in a group. They'll read it, they'll underline stuff. Then as a group, they'll discuss what they think the most important point was. Then again, they're talking to the, uh, to the 50 guys to introduce themselves first and last name They're they're saying what their uh, main point out of that is. Um, and then the last 15 minutes of leadership councils where those guys are just, and probably a lot of, a lot of other programs do similar things, but they're setting their goals uh, maybe for, for what's going to go on for contact days, how they want the lifting workouts to go, setting goals for the season. Um, and then what's really powerful is, for example, the first two characteristics we talk about in summer is, you know, being the most enthusiastic player and then being the hardest worker on the team. So the following leadership council, we meet on Mondays before lifting. We'll have all the seniors pick a sophomore that they noticed was doing that. And then that's another way to get to know the sophomore's name. But it's, it's pretty powerful when a, for a sophomore to have a senior compliment them in front of everyone. And then we'll have like maybe sophomores compliment a junior. And then, you know, the, they're just building unity amongst all three grades. So we're making a very positive atmosphere, you know, building unity, building leadership. They're talking in front of their peers. Uh, you know, by, by the time football starts, we're hoping that these, the sophomores or seniors already have these bonds before the season gets going with their leadership. Um, the other thing that 
a couple more things about our leadership council. Our leadership council picks our captains. So a lot of schools, I mean, I did this in the past. We just had the seniors pick the captains. So the sophomores and juniors are also picking the captains. So I think that also motivates our seniors to really get to know our, our sophomores and juniors because, you know, they're, they want to be a captain of the team. One of the things we talk about is just like as a player, our goal is to build a relationship with every player on our team. We also want all of our seniors to build a relationship with every sophomore and junior on the team, not just our little clique of seniors, a little clique of, you know, the guys to hang around with. So um, having that vote that way has, I think, helped instill more unity amongst the three grades. Um, we put an asterisk by every kid's name in the program. So even if that senior is not starting, you know, their parents can go to the game. They see their asterisk in there. Obviously, you know, I, I know a lot of parents, that means a lot to them um, to, to see their name in the program. And um, then in season, you know, we continue to, to try to be player led. Uh, some examples that, that we do, especially with our seniors and our starters is the starters have to put all the equipment away at the end of practice. Our quarterback has to take the ball bag. He's got to bring it out to practice. Got to take it back, back into the uh, locker room. Um, trying to think of, uh, oh yeah, we also, a big thing at practice is we're just trying to have our, our players set up the stations, particularly our seniors. We do run a lot of the same drills so they, they understand what, especially the returning players, we want fast tempo at practice. So we're trying to get them to set everything up for us. And then the underclassmen see that. And then that way we're tempos, better practice. Um, we constantly talk to our kids about, we want to be player led. We just want to coach you guys. We don't want to have to worry about getting on you guys about effort and attitude. Like you guys should be installing that in each other. And um, I know this year our, our Sam Stoiber was a, a first team all conference fullback the last two years was, was our best leader. And an example of me get knowing that the kids are buying into what we're talking about is I remember one practice, you know, before team offense, I'm always telling the kids, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be super nice right now when it's team all, I'm going to be helter skelter on you guys a little bit. And, and then Sam, our fullbacks, like, hey, Coach Krause should not be a cop right now. He should just be coaching us. We should be, you know, we shouldn't need coach to motivate us. And so I've seen uh, just huge growth with our kids leading things rather than the coaches leading things. And um, another thing that we started uh, in 2017 was a leadership class. I know that Kimberly uh, was doing that. Uh, I found out about it. And we currently have uh, – that class, any, anybody can take it in our school. It's for half a semester. So not only they, can they do the leadership council, but every student in our building uh, can take leadership class. But we really encourage our football players to take it. And so now it's a 90-day class on leadership that they can take. And, you know, hopefully these guys are taking it before they're, you know, senior in football. And, and that, that helps uh, immensely with our school culture, um, not just football, but it's helped with our, you know, lunchroom situations or hallway situations kids uh, going to other kids' sporting events. You know, the leadership class has been, been a huge impact on our kids, and it's kind of trickled into, into football. And um, I think, Coach, one thing that, that we talked about, the Dells, and I got I to give Coach Lucchese, Coach Kunick a lot, a lot of credit for this. They're, they're young coaches on my staff. And one thing that uh, they've, they've been big on and um, – more positive coaching. I mean, I think we, when, one thing that we do uh, when we, we practice, we uh, film practice every day and then we show, uh, we put huddle notes on there. And one thing that those two guys do really, really good on defense is they, they try to make all their comments very positive instead of catching them in the act of, of what they're doing wrong, catch them in the act of doing what is right. Uh, that is a mindset change. Um, so I, I think that's one thing coach you were talking about. Uh, that's really unique maybe to Muskego and, and our younger guys, a couple of our younger coaches are really, really good at that. And it's kind of infiltrated our entire football staff. Um, Coach, any other questions on that or thoughts or anything I missed? No, what I would say, yeah, that's exactly, um, you know, what we were talking about, obviously up at the Dells and I appreciate that time. The other thing that, and I've told this story before, but in terms of being player led and the leadership that that's come out of your program, um, you know, my experience at the all-star game, I got to work with three of your, uh, three of your kids, Alex current, uh, Brian Radish, and um, I'm forgetting the, the offensive lineman um, that particular. Oh, Mason. Yep. That's right. And so, you know, the, again, I've, I've, I've maybe told this on here one other time, you know, but the reality is after um, 
after a long time of having gone through COVID, some of us played in the fall, some of us played in the spring. And to get to that point, it was an all-star game two years in the making. We had a, a pretty festive first day of practice. Um, and after it was all said and done on a really hot day, your two guys walked over, set their helmets down in an orderly fashion on the goal line and proceeded to just go ahead and start running sprints and doing some different things from a workout perspective. And all the other players were walking back to the dorms. All the other coaches were done picking up equipment. And, uh, and there were those two guys absolutely getting after it. So um, I just wanted to share that here, but I mean, they, I, I distinctively remember their ability to make friends quickly with those on the team, you know, in terms of working and talking to different uh, levels of student athletes in the program they were the first one to make friends, first one to know everybody's names, what school they're from, that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, two of the two of the hardest workers we had. And and I just appreciate that story because uh, it gives me goosebumps because that's really between our leadership council. Uh, we have a mental training program that I didn't I didn't talk about, but you know just just the different style of coaching. Um, just a quick story about being player led. Like in 2018, uh, that was our first state championship team. The I think like this the third week of the playoffs, um, it snowed really really bad. So we have turf fields. We practice on our turf, but our sleds were on grass, and our there was snow. And every Tuesday we do sleds with our offensive linemen, and, and it was that week. It was the snow was on the field, but it was super 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 cold. So we were trying to like reduce a few things from practice, and we talked about you know, having all these conversations about player read and all these articles we've read and all these conversations we've had with our kids. And um, our kids went up to our offensive line coaches and they're like, we always do sleds on Tuesday. We're doing sleds this week. And they did the sleds in like, you know, below zero weather with the snow and inside. And that was on Tuesday. And, and that was, you know, don't disrespect the Kimberly, but I'm like, we're going to win the state championship. Like our kids, you know, are that driven to do things on their own based on. So it, like you said, all the training that we've done with our kids, um, it, it has definitely made an impact for us at Muskego. And, and so I really appreciate you sharing that, that story, um, especially about them reaching out to their teammates and everything. So thank you. That make, that reminds me, we talked recruiting and me and somebody else were talking recruiting today. And we said, you know, do you love football or do you love the attention that football that brought to you? Right. You know, and when, and when kids are willing to go, when the lights are off, when nobody else, it's an all-star game, you know, you could, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do with the all-star game. Right. Like, but you don't, you don't have to go lift. You don't have to do sprints. Nobody's making you do that stuff, but they choose to go do that on their own. That shows, Hey, Hey, we love football. Like we love the game. Like it's, it's not about the attention this game brings to us. It's about what we've learned from the game. It's about what we've, you know, what we've poured into this and how much we love this and our teammates. So that's a pretty cool story. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. Coach, as someone who's coached football in the state for 30-plus years, how has the game changed over that time? What have you noticed in the different trends that you've seen? Well, I would say that uh, – kind of touch on this, but I think like 30 years ago there was a lot more – and maybe there's still people that do this, but but I think the more there, – there's been a change in our philosophies. Uh, there was a lot more yelling and more of telling people what they're doing wrong, and now there's more up coaching. There's more positivity. Um, trying to catch kids in the act of doing, doing the correct things. Um, I also think that there's a lot more. Uh, one thing I read, John Gordon, I think instead of motivating people by fear, motivate people by love. So I think that that's becoming, at least for Muskego, uh, that's, that's a big word for us, love. And I think that uh, when, I, when I read about successful coaches, I, it feels like they love their players. And um, I think that's become a big trend. Um, less fear getting kids, you know, making them do it just to do it. Make they're, they do they want to do it because they have a relationship with you and they trust you. So they're doing it because they trust you and they trust you have your best interest in heart rather than doing it because you told them you had to do it and you're putting fear into them. Um, another big change, you know, 30 years ago, everybody was running that wing tee and now everybody's running the spread. So just offensively, uh, there's just been, you know, and everybody's in shotgun now and spread and, very, very few teams uh, are under center for, for an entire game. And so that's been a big change. I think huddle, huddle sideline has been an absolute game changer. I mean, when I think about, uh, 
previous years before huddle, you know, you're, you guys probably know you're talking to kids, asking them where the kids are lining up and half the time they're telling you wrong information and you can't rely on what they're saying. And so for us, you know, we've been able to, uh, we've been using huddle sidelines since 2018 and, you know, we could go all nine next year, but we're, we're 57 and four. And we, we think that's been a game changer because we run, we've been running the same system for 16 years at Muskego and, my line coach, my two line guys, one is coaching me the entire time. The other coach, Coach Hetzel, and then Coach Smith, uh, C. Smith, he he was a player for me for four years, and then he started coaching right away. And so on Friday nights, we're able to make adjustments a lot more quicker, and we're able to also show our, our players their mistakes immediately, not till the next day on Saturday morning or Sunday night or Monday. We can correct them series to series. But with that being said, it also changes the chess match because if that other team's got huddle sideline, you know, you might be before huddle sideline, you could be in an unbalanced formation and they may never know. And now huddle sideline, they're able to maybe look at that and pick up on things you're doing and they can make adjustments. So um, I feel like there's a lot more in-game adjustments going on because teams now can see right away what the other team is doing. So I think that's that's really changed the game as well. So uh, those no, are probably no longer. <laughs> no, no longer is a defense got a guy in every gap on every single play. <laughs> exactly. You, know, you, you ask the kids, what are they in? Well, they're 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 in a one, a two, a three, a four. They, you know, like well, they only got eleven guys out there, they, and then they're not all on the D line. So we're gonna have to sort this out. Right. Exactly. So, uh, a powerful change that whole sideline. Coach, what is your greatest football memory that has nothing to do with wins or losses? You know, I don't know if I'm going to answer this exactly correctly, but uh, to me, the, the greatest football memories are just the relationship piece. Um, two things that really, to me, are so cool. Uh, now that I've coached for such a long time is I've been starting to have uh, reunions with, with teams and players. Uh, this summer, I was able to have a 20-year reunion with our 2003 Final Eight and State West Dallas Central team. And um, we had 18 seniors on the team and 15 of them were able to, to attend it. And some of these guys had not seen each other since high school. Some of these guys lived out of state and now with FaceTiming the, the guys that weren't at the meet at, at the, uh, reunion, you know, guy was in California, guy was in Colorado. We were able to FaceTime these guys. So just being able to relive the memories and, and, and see our guys. And, you know, this, this, uh, winter, I was also at a wedding from my uh, 2000 team from West Dallas, a uh, player finally got married. And ironically, there were 14 former players at his wedding. Um, and we took like a group photo. You know, he's got the people taking pictures at weddings and we end up taking a, a group picture together. And um, so I think the relationship piece is is like my favorite memories. And then, uh, you know, I'm kind of giving a two-part thing here. But uh, one reason I think our coaching staffs at both schools have stayed together is uh, Coach Sobes, who I had mentioned earlier, my uh, you know mentor of mine, he, he said, when you become head coach, um, and this might not be what every program does and not saying this way is the right way, but he said, you need to go out as a staff and either commiserate or celebrate after every Friday night game. And, uh, so my greatest memories were in West Dallas when we would, uh, after games, uh, especially big wins, you know, we went to a place called the ground round and we'd really run up that, that bar tab and God bless. We hopefully never played a four o'clock game or that bar tab would get real expensive and, now at Muskego, we do the same thing. We, we found a, a local establishment that has pizzas and wings for us. And, um, you know, there's it's just great to kind of laugh about things throughout the week, talk about the week. And then if you're fortunate to win championships, the, the, those celebrations are just, just outstanding. So for me, if we're not talking about wins and losses, to me it's just the, the relationship piece of getting together with the people that, you know, um, you've, you've, you've sweat with, you know, you've, you've cried with, you've bled with, you've had injuries, you've had – as you guys know, you know, players, there's families have deaths and there's some of our coaches, you know, their, their parents pass away and you get so close to the people you coach and work with. And when you're able to get together with them, um, to me, those are priceless moments. It's an extended family. Coach, those championship celebrations are great, but let's be honest, when you're in the midst of a two and seven or three and six season, some of the, uh, the regular celebrations that even after the losses are good too, when you've got weeks where you're herding cats, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you, you cannot, you know, as, as everybody knows, we put in, you know, if we're teaching all day and then you're coaching and you're watching film and you, you might be putting in 80, 90 hours. And so you need time to decompress. And 
Um, again, that's where you got to have each other's back. You got to be loyal to each other. And, and I think if I agree when we've had some of those, uh, you know, when we've had a rough year, um, still being able to be together on a Friday night together instead of going our separate ways builds that unity amongst your staff uh, sticking together. So that's a really good point uh, that you bring up there. And you got to, you got to stick together uh, even more, even more when you're struggling, you really got to have each other's back because people will be questioning things and you got to make sure as a staff, you've got each other's back. And I think the longer your, your staff is together, the more important those are. I think when you're, when your staff is, has not been together very long, it's easier to all just kind of go your separate ways on those Friday nights. But I think the longer your staff sticks together, uh, you know, the stronger your bonds, the stronger your relationships and, and the less it is about the game and the more it is about hanging out with guys that you, that you really actually do care about, you know, and, and, um, and guys that, that you, you put, you spend so much time with and you know, each other's families and whatnot, um, that, that it means a lot more in those times as well. I agree hundred percent with that. I mean, as you guys know, you know, when you're, when you start coaching years after years, after years, I, I, I guess I'm just repeating what you're saying. You just get so close to each other. It's almost like a, a birthday party, a Christmas gathering, you know, but you're doing it weekly. Um, and I really consider the guys I coach with best friends. Um, I think we all can see each other best friends and we're always, we're always there for each other. Like you said, the longer you coach together, the closer you get. Coach, what's a team coach coordinator that's been really fun to play against or, or maybe the biggest challenge that you guys have seen on a regular basis? Well, I'm going to, you know, just because of the longevity piece, you know, I was at West Dallas, I thought uh, Coach Cerrone was at Menominee Falls and he ended up at Oshkosh and Coach Vitale. I know his son just got a head job at Tulsa. Uh, those guys were head coaches at the Falls and those guys just seemed to give us the most fits. But uh, I loved it because it made us better coaches. It kind of helped us uh, kind of develop our wing tee style. But those were guys that I really respected, and I, I'm not surprised at all by, by Coach Cerrone's success at Oshkosh. Franklin has been a, a fun uh, competitive battle for us. We were in the same league with them at Muskego. Uh, you know, they kind of had us, then we started beating them. And then, then we weren't in the same league and then they, they got us pretty good in a playoff game. And then we were able to get them, you know, in some playoff games. And so um, I think we're very similar communities. Uh, we just played them in basketball last night. Uh, you know, you can just tell both programs are in the weight room. You can tell that they're hardworking communities. You know, we, we just, I kind of joked with those guys about five, six years ago. I said, we're basically a conference game. We're going to see each other every year in the playoffs at some point. And um, we always were a 52 team as, as a compliment to Franklin. I, I thought they did a great job of their three, three. So I did change our defense probably eight, nine years ago. And a lot of it was just, I really like what Franklin was doing. And so we went to the three, three. That was the only dramatic change we've ever made on either side of the ball. Um, a lot of respect for, for Kimberly. I know Steve Jones retired as head coach, but, I know in the state championship game, uh, our defensive staff uh, had a lot of fun uh, going against Coach Jones. I think Coach Jones uh, has a great offensive mind. I've watched some of his games uh, offensively because we, we played Rapids in non-conference the last couple of years. And I just always felt that uh, he did a good job of uh, breaking teams down and coming up with ways to, to hurt teams. So I uh, feel like, you know, he was a great coach. And then the Classic 8 is just loaded with great coaches. I mean, it you know – it is so hard to make the playoffs in our league. And, you know, every team in our league is really, really well coached. And, and all these guys put in a lot, a lot of time. And um, I feel the Classic 8 does really well in the playoffs because there's such great coaching in our conference. And we're, we're so well prepared uh, come playoff time um, that, uh, you know, sometimes the playoff games be a little bit easier, to be honest, because we've seen such great coaching uh, from our league. Definitely some nice compliments there, Coach, of the of some of the opponents you've seen along the way. Um, speaking of playoffs here, hopefully this this doesn't happen, but if Yash or I for some reason had an early exit and we're coming into town to Muskego to see a game, maybe it's that Muskego-Franklin game late in the playoffs, where, we, where, where do we need to go eat? Where's going to be the best food in town for us? Well, I'm going to talk about Maddie's Bar and Grill, former Muskego football player who uh, – it's actually in New Berlin, but it's really, really close to the Muskego. Uh, he has, uh, it was a bar in the beginning, and it, it, he kind of started a little bit before I became the coach at Muskego, and his place has just exploded. It's now like a bar kind of restaurant, and 
Uh, they've expanded their amount of people that can come there and, and uh, they've kind of grown with our football program and, and he's a former player and he's, he's been great to our program and uh, they've got a great selection of food and uh, it's become a very popular place uh, for Muskego people to attend and it's uh, they treat you right there. Coach, final question on the evening. What piece of advice do you have for coaches that are out there that want to be a successful coach, want to kind of have the kind of the legacy that you've built at Muskego? You know, I might answer this a little bit, uh, a little bit off, but when I really, really reflect, if if you're going to coach for 30 years like I have, um, the most important thing is family, and and I think the b- biggest decision you're going to make if if you're a young person and you're not married yet, um, you know, I think who you marry is going to be the most important adult decision you're going to make. And I was fortunate that I started coaching in college. <laughs> And I knew that I loved it and I knew that I wanted a coach and I wanted to be a teacher. So um, again, kind of fate. I met my wife at Summerfest. If you guys are familiar with Summerfest, it's a huge music festival. I met her on a Saturday night and it was packed. And uh, when I met her, I found out that she played hardball, baseball with, with the boys and she was a, a hoop player, a shortstop. And I, I knew right away that this person uh, has got some potential. And then just to give you a quick story, but the fourth day I dated her, she ended up coming to one of my JV baseball games. I'm like, okay, she, she, I, this could be more potential. And then that year we won that JV championship. As I was telling you guys, uh, she came down from Oshkosh. She's going to Oshkosh and she, she came to the championship game with one of her friends. And so I knew that this was probably a keeper. So, um, and then once you marry this person, you know, you, we're all guilty of it, right? You know, you, you get, you watch so much film and you're having supper, you're in the car and you're, you, you all of a sudden aren't listening to the conversations. And, you know, I'll tell you this, if things aren't happy at home, you know, you're not going to be happy at football practice. So one, some things I've tried to do is, uh, you know, you're asking you know, advice 30 years of doing this. You know, I, I take my wife out. I try to take my wife out once a week on a date during football, believe it or not. And sometimes it's on a Wednesday night and it might be a cousin's for a sub for 30 minutes, but, we find a way, you know, Wednesdays seem to be a good night because Thursdays are more of our walkthrough practices, less intense. You know, we have to worry about the next day. And, uh, um, and there's been some Wednesdays that we may even go to uh, cousins and get a sub and we're gone for 30, 40 minutes, uh, especially when we had four children at home that were younger, we would just find time to, to get together weekly. Uh, when, I was also mentioning we, it seems like we get to about that second round of the playoffs, the years we were fortunate to get that far. Uh, I can tell her patience, especially when my kids were younger. Uh, she was starting to get worn down and sometimes she would tease me like, and maybe she meant it. She'd be like, why are you watching more film now in the playoffs? Don't you know what you're doing? And as we know, we're playing maybe opponents we've never played. So now you're watching more film and putting it in more time. And now it's single elimination. You lose, you're done. And so, uh, there's been some years I remember in 2003, I know it's a long time ago, but we, we got to the final eight in state. I, I took her to a Shania Twain concert the night before the game. And uh, a couple of years ago, I, I'm just thinking we, we played kettle Moraine and uh, I could just tell she was, she was getting worn down. I took her to uh it's called Potawatomi. It's like a gambling place in Milwaukee and something she enjoys doing. Um, yeah. I needed to watch more film, but it was more important. I spent four or five hours with her, keeping her happy. And um as we were mentioning, we were just at the Dells clinic, uh, two weeks ago and, uh, Dan Lodson, my strength coach and myself, uh, were similar age. We took our wives up there and our wives went shopping while we had the clinic from 12 to four. And then, uh, we, we went to a uh, whole chunk and we stayed overnight and we kind of made a night out of it. So, um, you know, you just, you got to find time for your wife if you want to, you know, be happy. And, and then the other thing I, I would say to guys that coach for 30 years, um, Make sure you're spending time with your kids. I don't know what the point of having kids are if you're not going to spend time with them. And so when you're a head coach or a coordinator or even a position coach, you can get really, really busy and um, don't get to the point where you're not giving them attention because I got two in college and I got two that are juniors. And, and I'm every day I'm a little bit sad when I wake up because my two in college I barely see now because they're ones in Whitewater, ones in lacrosse, and uh, they, they don't come home very often because they're involved in stuff up there. And it's, it's, it's gut wrenching. So if you've got kids and you're coaching football, I would get them as involved as much as possible. I had my kids on the sidelines. They're water boys. 
They're on our bus rides. They're in my locker room. I'd bring them all summer to the weight room. We did a, uh, a camp at Carroll College for a number of years. We'd take the kids there to build unity. We would stay there for three days, two nights. And my kids would go every year. They'd stay in the dorms with me. They'd, they'd stay with me. And, um, you know, I, I make a point to attend every one of their games. The only time that I've missed their games, I do have a goal to attend, you know, one to three clinics a year. And if, as you guys know, in youth sports, you play every weekend. <laughs> so there's, there's always going to be a weekend or two that yes, I'll be at a clinic and, and I may miss, you know, that weekend, but um, you know, I really try to make sure I'm at my kids stuff. Um, so I would just say 30 years of doing it family first, you know, and you got to find time uh, and you got, it, it's hard. You got to find a balance um, and you got to be really organized how you're going to do it. But uh, um, I think when things are happy at home, you know, you're a better coach. Coach, before I say thank you for the night, uh, who did you guys go see uh, back at Summerfest back in the day? Who was playing that night? <laughs> well, true story. Uh, we went with a group of people that were with their girlfriends, except for me and a buddy. And after about one hour, like we're going to go try to find, uh, find, find ourselves, uh, you know, so we ended up uh, running into Julie and her friend. They were kind of doing the same thing. So we actually did not see a show. We were kind of on the on the prowl and uh, ended up uh, just faith again. God, God blessed. You know, I met Julie that night. So yeah, it was. Uh, but we have gone back to Summerfest every year, and her and I typically see a show um, just to kind of kind of reunion for us. That's great, Coach. Well, hey, thank you so very much for coming on. A lot of great insight. Love to hear the stories understand you know what it's taken to, to get to the successful level that you guys are at so appreciate your time tom yeah coach i appreciate it sounds like our wives could uh could be pretty good friends here she likes the she likes the potawatomi and the ho-chunk uh, games as much as your wife does i think she's heading she's heading over to the bucks game this weekend so i'm sure that uh i'm sure i'll see a couple withdrawals in the debit card statement from from those establishments as well well, maybe we'll hook up at a clinic and uh, the wives can come in there and go gambling while we're uh, doing some football. There you go. Next <laughs> we'll year meet at the up Dells. With them later and do it. <laughs> yeah, next year at the Dells, my wife will that, – that'll get her on board. <laughs> exactly. Coach, thanks win, a lot right? for you coming. Football yeah. Happy. Right, exactly. It's always a win. Coach, we appreciate you coming on. It's been a blast, um, and, and it's been kind of a long time coming. You're, you've been a name that we've had on our list for a while, so – it was good to have you on and, and let the, the, the state hear kind of what has made Muskego a special program um, over the years. So we appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. And uh, you know, I appreciate it again what you guys do. I, I, I love, uh, I always pick something up when I listen to the, uh, the podcast. I think I love the journey questions. It's, it's fascinating hearing uh, the stories of all these uh, successful, you know, coaches and people, what they do. So thank you. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the WFCA Fall Guys podcast. We hope you join us for our next episode.